You're listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 74. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with Gene Zanetti, owner of Winning Mindset and a former Division I wrestler, to talk about implementing a gratitude practice, increasing motivation, and how to overcome perfectionism. This interview highlights two mental performance coaches talking about proven mental skills strategies that tie into their personal stories and how this type of training has affected the success of their clients. Gene also shares several approaches from the Winning Mindset program that will certainly enhance your mental game. If you're looking for a passionate mental performance coach, then you will want to listen to this episode. Hey, Gene, how are you? Hey, Grant. Doing well. Thanks a lot for having me. You bet, man. I'm really excited to have you on my show, having two mental performance coaches you know, talk shop. And can't wait to talk a little bit about your company, Z, Winning Mindset, your journey as, as an athlete, as a wrestler, and, uh, and talk about a topic that you're passionate about uh, with regards to perfectionism. So I'm really, really excited to have you on my show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, I'll kick off my show with... Uh, with this question every single time, and it's about mental toughness. So what does mentally tough mean to you? Yeah, that word does get kicked around a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. And even in and even in our mental toughness series, so we have a whole systematic curriculum. We break the mindset down into eight different mental muscles, and mental toughness is one of them. And we can even see within that there's several different things that that means, right? So one of the, one of the areas that I would say or one of the subgroups of mental toughness, I would say, is knowing who you are, knowing what you believe. Right. You look at the great warriors of all time, the Spartans, the samurai, the Aztecs, the U.S. military, even right down to the early Christian martyrs. What do they all have in common? Two things. They know what they believe and they're willing to die for it. Right. So as an athlete, you can't be afraid to lose or make mistakes. If you're playing scared, you're going to probably lose. Right. So how can you overcome that fear of losing or making mistakes? Well, it's by knowing who you are, knowing how you define yourself. What are your beliefs? What are your values? Do you know your faith? Those kind of ultimate questions, because if you have that set, then in a sense, you're bulletproof, because whether you win or whether you lose, that doesn't define you. And so many athletes are defining themselves based on the outcome of their sports performance. And what they have to understand is that their, their value and who they are as a person is independent of their sports outcome or how much money they make or if they have a girlfriend or any of that stuff. Right. So, yes, it's sports performance success. It's also anti-depression and overall well-being in life. So one area would definitely be knowing who they are, knowing what they believe. Another area of mental toughness subgroup that I would consider is getting comfortable being uncomfortable. So doing things on a regular basis that push them outside of their comfort zone. They have to see this. It's a mental muscle that needs to be worked regularly. And as soon as you stop, as soon as you stop evolving, what happens? You're dying, right? If you're not growing, you're dying. Totally. So I often tell our athletes, so you, you know how wrestling that works, right? There's a little box in the middle. Mm-hmm. right so assume so let's say that's your let's say that's your comfort zone right now if you don't push up against the edges of that box 10 years from now your comfort zone's still in there but if you push up against it eventually it becomes that middle circle but if you stop there then that's that's all your comfort zone gets so you got to keep pushing up against that middle circle and then eventually it becomes the big circle and then eventually it becomes the big bat and then it becomes the whole gym and then it's the whole building yeah and on and on so you have to constantly push yourself outside of your comfort zone. So that would be another area of mental toughness. Beautiful. So I mean, several different things. And, put, and then there's also the element of pushing yourself 
through a difficult something that's difficult physically. So mental toughness, pushing yourself through through um, difficult emotions and thoughts, those kind of things, and then it's actually doing hard things. Right. Right. So there's many different areas of that. Totally. You know, I, I always say this with when I'm working with athletes is, you know, whether if it's wrestling, football, water polo, basketball, whatever it is, that's what you do. It's not who you are. And, and I always start right. off when I work with relationships, you know, the relationship with the athlete or with teams, we, we need to know who we are. And like, really, I'm, I have them like write out who are they outside of sport? And then what's their philosophy? What do they believe in? So this is perfect. I mean, this is, this is exactly what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm glad we share the same thought on that. Absolutely. And then taking it out and then taking it to the next level, because we live in a very relativistic society where it's like, your truth is your truth. And my truth is my truth. Mm. And by nature, the, the truth is exclusive. There can only be one truth. Right. right. So unless we're talking about what's our favorite coffee or what's our favorite slice of pizza, I'm a New Jersey guy. So pizza is big for me. I love it. But uh, if we're talking about our likes, our preferences, then it's your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. When we're talking about ultimate realities that are external to us, we conform to the truth. We don't mm. bend the truth to us in that sense. So exploring those bigger ultimate questions that sadly everyone's running from. And that's exactly why we're seeing our society where it is in terms of depression, suicide, substance abuse. We saw all these things when I was a school psychologist. Right. And if you, if you know the, um, the warning signs for, for um, suicide, the, um, the acronym is is path warn. So is path warn. And you could Google that and it talks about different things, the ideation, the substance abuse, anxiety, and all that. Well, two of the category or two of those um, words in there, one is purposelessness and the other one is hopelessness. Mm. And if there's, if you're not based on that ultimate reality, where's the purpose? Right. Right. Where's the, where's the, and where's the hope? So you have to be based on that objective truth and then you have purpose and then you have hope because if we're just saying, well, your truth is your truth. And then, it changes from day to day. There is no ultimate hope. You could just keep changing it. Right. And that's what we see a lot of times with people. They're not rooted in the ultimate truth. They're hopeless. They're purpose, the purposelessness. And then obviously depression. And then at worst, you know, suicide. Yeah. You know, we, we, it's, it's funny you bring that up. I mean, it's not funny at all, but it's, we, we have a happy problem and, or happiness yeah. problem. And I remember bringing that up to someone and they're like, what are you talking about? Like, there's so many awesome things that are happening in the world right now. And I'm like, do you know what the suicide rate is? And just in the United States, right. just that alone, there, there's a happiness problem. Right, right. Oh, absolutely. And, and good, because there's a lot of misconceptions. First of all, happiness is one of those words that's thrown around so much. It's almost useless, the right, meaning, right. you know, because, I mean, you, you know, you want to be happy for a day, eat a steak. You know, you want to be happy for a week, get a car. You want to be happy for a year, win the lottery. Right. So we're really looking, I think what people really mean I'll go out on a limb. I'd assume what they're really talking about is joy, which is like a contentment totally. and feeling good about where I'm at and where I'm going. It doesn't mean you, you might be suffering right now. You might be suffering a lot right now, but you could still experience that joy, that contentment, knowing that I feel good where I'm at right now. And I feel good about where I'm going, even though this temporary moment isn't so pleasant. Yeah. So I think that's one thing. That's one thing that really needs to be stressed a lot more. Totally. Right. And the other thing is that, when people look at happiness, so you, you look at first, you look at the, the other end of the extreme, right? Depression. And what's the opposite of depression, the opposite of sadness? It's not actually happiness. It's gratitude. Yeah. A lot of psychologists will tell you that the opposite, the opposite of being <laughs> sad is actually being thankful. Because what's, 
what's implicit in, in a thankful attitude, an attitude of gratitude? It means you have something. Yeah. You can't be you can't you can't be thankful for something you don't have. So if you're thankful, <laughs> you have an attitude of gratitude, you're going to be happier. And guess what? You're going to compete a lot better too. And obviously we're talking grander scale overall well-being, but I'm talking about even if you didn't care about any of that well-being, even if you said, look, I just want to win in sports, it's still in your best interest to have the attitude of gratitude because then you're not going to be as nervous. You're not going to be as scared. You're not going to be as wrapped up in the outcome. Yeah. And a lot of athletes learn this lesson after they're hurt or they're injured and it gets taken away from them. Then they start seeing, oh, I just wish I had the opportunity. So that's one of the top things you hear athletes say after winning a championship, whatever it is, you know, Olympics, Stanley Cup, Super Bowl, whatever, any sport, World Series. They say, I was thankful for the opportunity to compete. And that's why with all the teams that we work with before and after every one of our workshops, we do the four mindset principles. And the first one is, I'm thankful for the opportunity to compete because they need to say it over and over again. And sometimes their mouth needs to teach their heart yeah. what their heart needs to know, right? Totally. So they say it out loud. They stand up as a group. So it builds a sense of culture. It builds a sense of team. And, and they get the mental reps. We get so many reps for strength. We get so many reps for technique and skills. We need to get mental reps. And the mindset principle is one of the ways that guarantees they're going to get mental reps. And that gratitude is critical. You see all psychologists now, if someone's struggling with depression, they're going to have them write a gratitude journal, right? Or um, write another one that I heard from Dr. Seligman, who is um, the father of positive psychology over at the University of Pennsylvania, my alma mater. He talks about writing a 200-word essay to someone who's helped you in your life and then actually reading that to the person, like thanking them. And he said it always ends the same way, tears and crying. But what happens is you start counting your blessings. Right. Well, how is this any different than King David in the Psalms? How many of them are praise and gratitude and, and thanksgiving? Right. Right. So it's it's like I'm glad science is finally catching up with this timeless <laughs> wisdom we've known about for some three thousand years. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. <laughs> well, I mean, you're 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 preaching the gospel there, and you know, my gratitude is my attitude, right? Um, Right. And and the more that we are coming from a, a grateful state, I mean, we're just creating more positivity in our body, in our minds, in our hearts. Absolutely. So, so that's good stuff. Right. So it has a physiological, it has a physiological outcome. If you see the Lord rigged the deck in our favor, that if you're, if you're, if you help people, you actually feel better. If you have an attitude of gratitude and being thankful, you feel better. Like actually physiologically, there's chemical, you know, chemicals going on in your body that are being released. For when sure. you're doing these positive things. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, I, I do want to get in a little bit of, because um, I know you were an incredible athlete and still are, but you were a D1 wrestler at University of Pennsylvania. And and I know that you can share probably a ton tons of stories about being mentally tough, but was there a a a moment in your career at the D, D1 level where you had to be mentally tough? Oh boy, plenty. I know, right? I mean, a lot of times it's a lot of times it's the the ups and downs. But I guess we could start a, a big, a key mentally tough moment. Other than the first time I saw the movie Rocky when I was in fourth grade, <laughs> right. I would say when I was when I was a fre when I was a freshman in high school, I went to a five day intensive camp called uh, at East Stroudsburg, right? So it was the East Stroudsburg intensive camp, and it started off 
And it started, you know, there's intensive camps all around the country, all different great things you could be going to. Ken Scherzo's, you know, Jay Robinson's, all kinds of stuff. Well, this one was kind of near home for me, being a Jersey guy. So I went out there and it was five days. It started off with 88 kids and they got it down to 45 by the end of the, by the, end of the camp. So there was a team camp and then there was an intensive camp. And basically, if you didn't make the cut for the, in, the uh, intensive camp, then you would go into the team camp. So you'd get an extra technique session where the intensive guys were doing either conditioning or live wrestling, whatever it was, right? And I remember then they really drilled in our heads, like, you're going to train like a Division One athlete. It really got that in our heads. And at the end of the camp, you'd get a T-shirt. You know, that's why tangible rewards are important. Yeah, it's not all about the, the win or the victory or the T-shirt, but it's, it's a little extra motivation, right? So, but they drilled into our head, you're training like a Division One athlete. And they said, we're not going to give it to you. So it started off with 88 kids. It was narrowed down to 45 at the end. So, and then the last day we had to do 300 squat thrusts to, to finish up, the, to finish up the, to wind up getting that t-shirt. And there was this one guy, he was a heavyweight, went through the entire camp. And I mean, you know, much bigger than all of us were working his butt off. And I mean, all the counselors were standing around watching us do those 300 squat thrusts. And the guy had bad knees. He was just a big guy, you know? And about 220, he just collapsed. And <laughs> just, I mean, not like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like in debt or anything like that. He didn't pass out, but he just couldn't do it. And he just hit the ground. And the counselors are like, you're out of here. Like, <laughs> not even sympathetic. I mean, you know, they took care of the guy. He wasn't in any, right, his health right. wasn't in danger, but you know, they were, they just, they trust him. So at that time, that to me, that was like a big moment in terms of mental toughness and thinking about training like a division one athlete. Wow. And then, and then, you know, obviously throughout the career, you know, I always had a winning record in middle school. My freshman year of high school, I was seven and 10. I was freshman on the varsity team. And, you know, we had a pretty tough weight in the area and, you know, real tough. I actually won my wrestle off that year, zero, zero with double overtime ride out. I don't know if you ever heard of that before, but zero, zero and double overtime ride out against the senior. Wow. And then my record was seven and 10. So having a winning record, my entire wrestling career in middle school and elementary school, I now had a losing record. And then a trying moment was sophomore year when I still didn't make it out of the districts. And I said, man, now I've been training just about every day for three years. I feel like I'm getting worse. I feel like I'm going backwards. So that was a trying moment where I was said, what am I going to do? And I decided to keep pushing forward. And then my senior year of high school wound up you know, being third in the state of New Jersey. My only loss was in the state quarterfinals by a point, And I avenged that loss and uh, the third place match to the same guy. And then but then you had another humbling, I had another humbling situation going into college, 39 and one, my senior year of high school. And I was eight and nine as a freshman in college when I was over at Rutgers. Wow. So I was at Rutgers for three years before I transferred to Penn. I lost my wrestle off 10 to two. So it wasn't even close. I lost my wrestle off in the matches that the starter got hurt. I got to go in a couple of times, but they were preserving them or whatever. And my record was eight and nine. So that was another tough one. So it's not like I was automatically all Ivy League ranked in the top 20 it was losing record right away. Wow. You know, so like those, so like those kind of things, I think were big jumps mentally because it, it just seems like, Oh, you know, you just look at the outcome of the athlete and not those trying moments. Mm. You know, it's interesting. You, you bring up um, that, that story about, uh, you know, earning the shirt and, and yeah. I don't know if it's, it could be, a, I don't know if, that's something that happens throughout the culture of uh, wrestling camps, but I can't remember exactly this camp that I'm going to talk about, but I worked with an athlete about four or five years ago 
And as, we, as I was getting to know him, I asked him, like, hey, what was your proudest moment? And he goes, my proudest moment in my career was going to this one camp. I forget the name of it. But he goes, it was earning the shirt. He goes, it was a T-shirt. And he goes, and there was about 100 kids that went. And by the end of it, there's only 40 because they, they all they all quit. Yeah. And and there was a point in he was telling me his experience. He goes, there was a point in the in the camp that they were actually telling me that I wasn't good enough to earn that, that, uh, that shirt. And he goes, and I just, I knew it. I knew it was in me. I needed to wear that shirt. And it's just those little things, right? It's just a t-shirt. Like, what does that mean? What, what's that symbolism, right? But, <laughs> yeah. it, but it brought up that story when you were sharing yours. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's why it is good to have those tangible rewards. Like, of course, it, we got to stress to the kids. It's about intrinsic motivation and intrinsic yeah, value. Totally. But it's good to have it's good to it's good to have those little favors here and there too because you know we all like that. It all gets us to work a little bit harder. It, in a sense, what it really does is it it captures. I think it captures that intrinsic value. Um, like the shirt becomes a sign of that intrinsic value you're getting from. It. Yeah, totally. You know, absolutely. So. You know, when you were at um, this is. Just, out of curiosity, when you were yeah. at Rutgers and University of uh, Pennsylvania, did you have a sports psychologist or did you have someone that you could use while you were competing? They were available. So we had a, we had a, um, one of the exercise physiology professors. Um, he came in at Rutgers like two or three times and spoke, I, I think it was twice, probably once a year, maybe twice total, but um, came in, spoke to us, said he was available. And every now and then he would come, he would be behind the, um, uh, you know, what, where we were warming up. He'd be back there with us every now and then. So it was like more like, hey, this, this resource is here. You could use him if you want. Right. And then at Penn, we had a sports psychologist. And this one I started, um, I, I read a book about sports psychology, realized this is something that I wanted to do. So the sports psychologist came in I think, two or three times. Again, not, not that many. <laughs> came in two or three times, said he was available. And I met with him once and he pointed out some really good information, some information that really helped me and also asked him about like career advice and everything. But I think the way it was structured at both schools was we have this resource and they spoke a little bit about why mindset's important. And then we talked maybe a little bit about goal setting or visualization. And then that was basically it. Then it was on our own. Mm-hmm. And what I always said was, wouldn't this be great if this was part of the practice? Like I read books of this book called um, Secret of Soviet Sports Training by Dr. Michael Yesis. He's out in San Diego. And he's and he said um basically his book talks about the Soviets that mental training was built into their practice and they would have the athletes after practice, okay, make yourself mad, make yourself calm, make yourself happy, and like practice regulating their emotions and their thinking and all this stuff and you know, many other things, but it was built in. And I said, Yeah, wouldn't that be great if it was like you had your strength training, you had your conditioning, you had your practice, and you have your mindset training. Totally. And that's what I wanted to do. That was the vision for, for my business. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, and also another thing, I wanted to make it much cooler and down to earth for kids because most kids, they saw the sports psychologist, they're like, ah, you know, a therapist, motivational speaker, counselor. <laughs> and it's just not, and, and I love that stuff. I think that's great. But, that, but the realistic thing is that's just not cool, quote unquote, cool for a lot of people. Right. So we said, you know what? We could either fight the stigma or we could just flip the script and call it something different. So we started saying mindset training, right? And also there were some differences there. We made it sports specific. So instead of like a baseball player who was the sports psychologist who spoke to the wrestling team, 
you know, a lot of guys are like, ah, what does he know and everything, even though he did know a lot. But the guys were just like, well, we want a wrestler. So we said wrestling mindset. And then with all of our other sports, we said baseball mindset, tennis mindset, where the curriculum is specifically language specific to the sport. Like when we got the sports psychology information, it was like, okay, here are the, here are the principles. Now you apply it to your sport. So it's just one extra step for us on top of the stigma. So we said, what we got to do is we got to beat both of those things. Mindset training for golf, mindset training for basketball, mindset training for baseball. Yeah. The other thing, unfortunately, when they would come in, they would talk about goals, right? And that seems like a logical place to start, right? We got to start with our goals. <laughs> but again, we're already battling against the stigma and kids who are more, see, psychology is very theoretical and abstract. Yeah. And, and it's like, and athletes, the reason why they play the sport is because they're hands-on people. They need to touch it, taste it, smell it, hear it, right? They're hands-on. To start with goal setting or visualization, I've seen lose kids more than anything. Our team at Penn, we were ranked top 20 in the country. Everyone, everyone in the starting lineup was ranked in the country. We had an NCAA champ and an All-American in that lineup, right? The guys had goals. What they didn't have is sometimes strategies to deal with the nervousness. Yeah. So my thought was we need to come in right away and slam. The, like if I was coming in right away and that's what we do with our program, we slam them with practical tools that we know they're going to be seeing in the very next competition. And that elicits a tremendous buy-in, which it should. And then you could start talking to them about goals, which of course we do with the five-part series on goals. Then you could start talking about visualization, which is in our confidence series. But that can't be what we start with because it's again, too theoretical. And the goal setting for the team of our level, even though we needed it, a lot of guys were just insulted. Like, yeah, we're trying to be national champs. We know what our goals are. It was kind of almost like a throwaway session. You know what I mean? Right, right. Well, it's interesting. You're yeah. absolutely you're correct, man. When, when you come in on the first session or two and you're pushing down you know, visualization, meditation, even breath work, like if you haven't built yeah. the relationship, the rapport, it, you yeah, can no lose way. them. You can lose them real quick. And and it's funny at the high school level. I don't even call myself the mental performance coach. I call myself the performance coach because and and you were totally talking to this that none of the players, generally speaking, they don't want to be seen talking alone with the mental performance coach because that means there's something wrong with them possibly their their friends might look at them like why are you talking to grant like is there something wrong with you right so that's that's a general yeah. thing so that's why the trust and the rapport is so huge that you want them to all feel comfortable coming to you and and i kind of pull you know i don't want to be known as the mental guy i want to be the performance guy now when i get into college and and above it it doesn't you know people get it they get the work generally speaking so so I, I totally get that stigmatism of of psychology and, and the word mental because that, that can have a, a yeah. negative reaction to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, when I originally started the business, this business, I started doing this back in 2008. We formalized the business in 2012. That's me and my brother both left our full-time jobs to jump in with two feet, uh, 2013, something like that. But 2008, yeah, I was looking at it more as being a performance enhancement specialist. And my brother's like, that is all kinds of negative connotations associated with it. Now with me, psychology is cool. Therapy is cool. Counseling. Right. I don't have a, I don't have a visceral reaction to any of that. Right. My brother being more the business guy, right. He was a financial advisor. So he wasn't into like the psychology world for him. He's like, 
well, performance enhancement, people are going to think you're talking about sex and this kind of stuff. And like, I, that didn't even enter my mind, you know, like that type of stuff didn't even enter my mind. And he was like, mental's not going to sound cool. Uh, and he said, mindset is a good buzzword. Let's stick with mindset. Right. And I said, okay. Like I just trusted, I trusted him that he would, he was always able to capture my blind spots. My brother is very good in areas that I'm not good at. And that's why I think the business was able to grow the way it has because we're very blessed. Not only do we get along incredibly well, share the same values, share the same goals for the business, but also we complement each other tremendously. So we never have to ask, is this a gene job or a Jeff job? It's just, we know each other's personality. It's very clear what a gene job is. It's very clear what a Jeff job is. Got it. I love <laughs> right? it. So, so well, um, we're very blessed in that regard. And that's, yeah. a, that's a beautiful place to be in when you're, when you're creating a company and when you, when you know your roles, right? You know, right. So that's, that's awesome. Um, speaking, yeah, that didn't have to work out that way. That was just a blessing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Totally. Well, and it's good to you. There's some trust there, right? Your brother. Uh, so there's, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, oh, there's yeah. definitely long trust there. Now I want to ask this question about, about your role being a mindset coach. Like, what do you, what, what do you think is the most rewarding part of being a mindset coach? And then what do you think is the hardest part of your role? I, you know, I, I always say that some of the greatest success stories that that I've had as a mindset coach go far beyond sports. It's where the kid says that, of course, like we love seeing our athletes win a state championship or winning an NCAA title, right? And I am happy in those moments. Like when we were working with St. Cloud State the first year. So right after we spoke at the National Wrestling Coaches Convention, the first year we did that, we spoke to the St. Cloud State um, wrestling coach. And he said that, they were on the cusp of winning a national title. They never won before. We want to get the mental edge. We want to use you guys. We started working with them. And that next year, they were NCAA champions. No, 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 not, not that year, but the following year. Because now it really started becoming part of their culture. Two years in with working with them, they were NCAA champs. I remember getting the news when I was at movie theater that night with one of my friends. And, and that, was a, that was a happy night. But I wouldn't say that was one of the, it is one of the biggest successes, but I could tell you one athlete that struggled with severe anxiety and, and, and a um, eating disorder and him overcoming that. Not only was he a several times state finalist, but also just him overcoming that and being happier with who he was. That was a huge thing. You know, that athlete, he asked me to fly out to Wisconsin to be a sponsor for his confirmation. Wow. And I mean, I, the thing about our program is all of our team workshops are done um, on Skype. And all of our phone workshops are done, all of our one-on-ones are done on the phone. So I hadn't met him in person at this point in time. A lot of our athletes, we didn't meet them, mm. you know, so, but other, than, other than being on the phone or on Skype and flying out to him and getting to be with him and his family. I was just honored, to, you know, to, to stand up there while he was being confirmed. And then, his, and then his brother, too. I was his brother's sponsor, so I flew back out to Wisconsin. That was a great moment in the business. Uh, one of our other athletes wanted to get into the u.s military academy that was his goal to get into army and hearing that he got in there that was great um, another another great one i remember was um one of our athletes who was division one wrestler third in the state of new york he had a terrible phobia of swimming in his pool in the backyard so this is one of the toughest kids that you'd probably meet wow. he was afraid of swimming in the pool and i remember going and i remember one of the years we were working because we worked together multiple years saying that you know this summer we're going to tackle this head on we're going to get you in that pool. And of course we worked on mindset for sports, right? We're getting them ready for wrestling, but we also worked on that pool. And when he said he can now swim in his pool, that was a happy moment for me. That was a really, 
That was a really good moment. And yeah. I, and I think another, <laughs> now it's not I mean, one other moment that I could say that really stuck out in my head. And there's many examples of things like this, but um, as the company started growing and we started getting more mindset coaches, because originally I was the only one to provide the service. Now we have 80 mindset coaches all across the country, like literally from the East coast to the West coast, North to South. <laughs> right. Wow. And, and we had a guy win his second state championship and we had a picture of him. They're in a different state now. And these, and the mindset, but we linked them up with this mindset coach because they were in the same state. This coach, uh, this kid wants to own a gym in the future. This mindset coach also owns a gym. So when we pair that, in other words, when we pair up these athletes, we have them, the parents or the, the coaches fill out a questionnaire. So we get an understanding of their goals, their personalities, their interests, what they want to do in the future. And then we match these kids up with someone who's not just going to be a good role model in sports, but also a good mentor for them for whatever they're going to do in life. And with having 80 mindset coaches, we have a big, diverse group of coaches that can, we could really match with the kids' unique needs. So we matched them with this kid. And then they sent me a picture after this kid won a state championship. And it's just him and the mindset coach, and they were together. And I thought, like, there's no way they wouldn't have known each other if it wasn't for this business. So we were able to make that connection. And here they are sharing a moment. And I'm out in New Jersey, so I'm in a totally different state. But they're having this great moment together. There's a relationship that's been solidified. And it's, you know, large part because of the company. That was a happy moment. Wow. That, that, those are all beautiful stories, you know. And, and I, I share it with you is, you know, obviously it's, it's awesome when you get to work with, a, with an athlete or a team that wins a championship. I mean, it's, it's just awesome. But it's not everything. And, and to me, being a mental performance coach, the, it's the littlest things that get me, like my frequency just is off the charts is when an athlete or a team is bought into the work and when they come and they show me notes, they show me their journal or they bring me something like, hey, last week when I played, this is what showed up. When I hear just that, I'm like, yes, like this is what I yeah. love, right? Because you're not trying to sell them on it. They're, they're bringing you this stuff. And it's just, uh, it's just those right. little things that just fire me up. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What was the other question? You said some, one of the more difficult things? Yeah. I, I guess kind of going back to what we were saying before about the stigmatism. Yeah. Right. That goes along with, that goes along with, uh, you know, mental training, mental coach. This is, this is what's helped me. Maybe it can help you too. I always go back to the strength training analogy. So if you ever feel stuck, you go back to the strength training analogy because it's so strong. It's so powerful and it makes so much sense to the kids. So like if a kid was saying that, oh, you know, they'd be afraid to, be caught with like a mental training coach, right? Or they, you know, they, they're putting in extra work on their mindset. Okay. So you don't go in the weight room. Don't go to the weight room. Then don't lift weights because people are going to think you're weak. And then, and they're like, you know, they laugh obviously <laughs> because they know everyone has to lift weights. It's like, right. all right, well, so you see, like you, you have to shatter that. And, and what we do is we, we address that head on. So when I speak to groups, the first thing I, one of the first things I say, it's actually my, in my, in my little spiel, it's like the third thing I say, I say, this is not motivational speaking, therapy, or counseling. This is mindset training. And I want you to look at this as strength training for your mind. So there's many different muscles in your body, physical muscles. There's different mental muscles. And one of the first things we do with athletes, we have them go through a mindset checklist that asks them three questions about each of the eight different mental muscles. And we could see very quickly where you're strong and where you're weak. And after working with tens of thousands of athletes around the country, we could tell you that every athlete can have some areas that are very strong and some areas that are relatively weak. 
and you're only as strong as your weakest link, just like the weight room. So, you know, our job is to take what's not working and make it work, but it's not just fixing problems. It's also taking where you're strong and making it, taking it to the next level. Cause usually people who are extraordinary and people who are great, it, yes, it's, it's balance and their weaknesses, but they have one disproportionate strength that they've really been able to make it freaky. So that's what you got to do. You got to take what does work and make it freaky. <laughs> and as well as, as well as balancing it out with the areas that you're not so good at, right? Because you are only as strong as your weakest link. Right. And I tell the kids all the time, let's say I have, you know, I want to deadlift 520 pounds. I have a five, I have, you know, 540 lower back. I have 520 glutes. I have a 480 grip. What am I pulling? 480, right? I got to get my grip kept caught up with my lower back and my glutes. So you go with that. Like there's different mental muscles, just like there's different physical muscles. Also, almost everyone will say they do weight training year round. They're doing strength training year round. Same thing with mindset training. You should be doing it year round. Yep. And then, and then the other analogy there is you have to be doing the weightlifting as basic as it sounds. <laughs> you can't just think about weightlifting. You have to get in the gym and you have to actually move the weight. <laughs> it's like what I tell the kids is that, you know, as a school psychologist, I had to learn how do how do people learn information? How do you retain information? And there's difference between um, uh, passive teaching strategies and active teaching strategies. It's kind of common sense. I'm just putting labels on it. You already know this kind of stuff anyway. But if you're just listening to a lecture, you're only going to, on average, you're going to remember 5% of the information. If you're reading a book, 10%, if that's where it ends. Right. So all of our exercises and activities that we do with, with winning mindset, it's got to be practical, tangible, filling out the worksheets and then teach this lesson to someone as soon teach this lesson to someone else as soon as you're done. Now they jump up into the 50 to 90 percent retention rates if they're doing those kind of things. So you have to do the mindset exercises. You can't just listen to what I'm telling you. Totally. There's got to be the group discussion, the exercises, the teaching it to other people. Right, we talk about having a pre-match, a pre-match routine, a pre-competition routine to quiet your mind. If you're not practicing that once or twice a week on your own, <laughs> the session we did about it doesn't really matter. Exactly. Right? Because you're not practicing it. So it's you, the same thing with lifting weights. You have to lift the weights. Yeah, go ahead. I, I, you know, I say the same thing. It's like, you know, if, if you don't make this a best practice, if you don't make this a part of your routine every day, all this, this right now, what I'm doing right now, it just becomes kind of a cool conversation, a cool experience. Like, eh, hey, it was great hanging out with Grant, and that's it. But if you can actually put this, it's like compound interest, right? You you put enough, you put a penny in the bank, you know, on day one, and then you put, you know, two pennies the second day, three pennies the, the third day, and you just keep on doing that for 30 days. Guess what? Guess how much money you have now? It's the same thing with training. Right. Like you got to just keep on putting the mental sweat in that bank because after 30 days of doing this work, you will. Now, there, there might be different things on, on what makes you better. Um, you know, some people learn and, and kind of gain experience differently. But I know that if you're dedicated to this work from day one to day 30, you're going to improve and you're going to have more control on whatever that you're going to be working on. Cause that's what I think it's an inside out. It's an inside out game. And it's about teaching these kids a process so they can control their thoughts and emotions. Right. And those are, those are skills they could use for their whole life. Yeah. Like I tell the kids, you know, confidence is confidence. Mental toughness is re- mental toughness. doesn't matter if you're in the biggest competition of the year. doesn't matter if you're taking the SATs in a job interview, they're saying no to drugs or fear pressure. We're speaking in front of a few hundred people, you know, 
do you believe in yourself or not? Do you have the mental toughness or not? Do you know the skills that are going to help you relax in those big moments? And if you don't have them, you don't have them. Right. So it should always be the big picture. We're always using sports as a vehicle to build champions in life. That winning mindset is not just for whatever sport you're doing. It's school yeah. and it's your whole life. Yeah, keep pressing that button with the with the um, strength training analogy. Right? Totally. I so, love it. Of course, of course, yeah, of course you're going to be working on your mindset. This, the people who are the strongest mentally are probably going to be doing the most mindset training. Right? It's <laughs> right. the same thing. The people who are lifting weights, the people who are lifting weights the most are probably your strongest friends. Right. So that's 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 definitely the way to go. I love it, man. That's that's a great one. I'll definitely use that. You know, I, I do want to touch on this one topic because I think it's it's real sure. within all levels of of athletics, and I think even in in anything that we perform, whether it's the workplace and an operating room, it's perfectionism. And I know that you're yep. very passionate about this topic. You've done a lot of research on this topic, but why is perfectionism so dangerous for an athlete's mindset and career? Well, so we've we've all heard of different you know stories of people who are perfectionistic that, that you know to taking it to the extreme obsessive compulsive mm. all the stuff right so it's like it's definitely not a it's, it's a hard thing it's a real thing and there's a lot of people who struggle with it so one thing is i was very blessed to do um, my thesis when i was at springfield college i was an assistant coach there I was getting my my first master's degree that's in sports psychology exercise science and sports studies with a concentration in sports psychology and i got to do my research on perfectionism and anxiety in athletes Right. So we gave them the, the frost multidimensional perfectionism scale and the competitive sports anxiety inventory revised version two, mm. <laughs> the CSAIR two. <laughs> and um, we gave it to them an hour before their for, before the wrestling match. We did this with wrestlers, 120 wrestlers at the College of New Jersey wrestling camp over the summer. Gave it to them an hour before they stepped out there. And we were trying to see if there was any kind of correlations between anxiety and perfectionism. And we found, so, so actually to take a step back, perfectionism wasn't just, okay, perfectionism, one broad topic, just like we were talking about mental toughness. This, this scale, this frost multidimensional perfectionism scale was broken down into different subgroups. So there was concern over mistakes, doubts about actions, organization, um, concern, what, what, uh, oh, two, of the, two of the categories had to do with parents, parental criticism and parental expectations. So what was interesting about that is, the athletes who perceived that their parents were more higher, that had higher expectations that were more critical, often that worked against them. Now, again, that depends on the athlete and it depends on the kids perceived, like if they perceived that the parents is helping or hurting, like parent, high parental expectations could be a good thing, right? Because maybe that means my parents believe in me. But anyway, perfectionism was broken down into six different subscales and the anxiety inventory was broken down into three areas, um, state anxiety, um, trade anxiety, as well as confidence, because confidence would be the inverse of anxiety, mm. right? So, and, and then we and then we ran those correlations against one another, and we saw for most of the subscales, especially things that you'd imagine like doubts about actions, concern over mistakes, that tended to be related to higher levels of anxiety and lower levels of confidence. I could send you the um, the results if you wanted to see that, but uh, in short, what I tell the athletes to keep it real simple. See, I never go into all that stuff with all the athletes unless I'm at a coaching convention. I would right. never do that with kids. Right. That would be shooting yourself in the foot with a large gun. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's just. <laughs> right. I'm with you. I'm just, with look you. At it like this. Yeah. So it's like, right. You know, perfectionism and anxiety. We found that athletes, they're more perfectionistic. They got more nervous. They did worse. 
That's right. all they need to know. <laughs> well, right. let me ask you this um, before we sign out here. But when it comes to – because sure. there, there's so many different uh, dynamics and things that are you know connected to perfectionism. But right now in, the, in our society, everything is so instant. And so social media is a, a big proponent right now. I think it's a good thing and it's also a bad thing. Do you think that social media – is is a key contributor to fueling an athlete's perfection mindset um could be could be i I think what it really is is it's just what happens is it it shifts our focus away from things we could control right and we think we're comparing ourselves more to other people i guess you would say yes because basically it's just it's it's, however you, you normally be feeling the social media basically puts that on steroids Right. <laughs> so, right. So if you're if you, if you are perfectionistic, it is going to magnify that. If you're anxious, it's going to magnify because now it's constant. Like you're constant. It, it, it's always around you. Yeah. So if you've looked at any of our material, you know, we talk about the difference between the predator mindset and the prey mindset. So the predator mindset, we talk about predator animals have their eyes in the front of their head. We say eyes on the front like to hunt. So they're focused on their goal. They're focused on things within their control. We say their effort, their attitude and their aggressiveness. In sports, school, and life, it's effort, attitude, and aggressiveness focused on your goals. Prey animals, their eyes are on the side of their head. So we say eyes on the side like to hide. So Mm. prey athletes and prey students and prey business people are constantly comparing themselves to other people. Or what are the rankings? What are the records? What are the seedings? What are the predictions? Um, They're not not focused on the factors within their control. So a perfect example of of how this would, would work in sports. LeBron James during the during the playoffs goes on a blackout, doesn't go on social media. So now he's not hearing what other people are saying about him and getting sucked into the hype and what I call the fan mentality. Yep. Right? You're either a spectator or you're a participant. You can't be both. You can't stay on both sides of the line. So you're a spectator, you're a participant. And we've seen actually two of two of our Olympic, they were supposed to win the Olympic gold back in 2016 in Rio, both the men's wrestling team and the, and the women's wrestling team, heavy favorites. Both of them lost, and I spoke to the coaches after, and they said they got too caught up in the in, in the event of the Olympics, too many interviews. The one, you know, one got promoting a shoe deal, taking pictures of other athletes, and sure, great, they enjoyed the Olympic experience, but they didn't come home with gold. So you can't do both. You know, maybe some people can, or maybe you did it once in a while, but if you want to maximize your chances, which is really all mindset training is about, we can never guarantee success. But if you want to really maximize your chance of success, you can't be both. You got to pick. Yep. Participant or spectator, predator or prey mindset. I love that. I'm going to use and a great that. One, and a great one to do that. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. I love it. I love it. Well, man, I, Gene, I want to thank you for your energy and, and your mindset, but just your knowledge um, and your passion for this work. How can my listeners not only follow you on social media and learn more about Z Winning Mindset? Yeah. Well, thank you very much for having me, Brent. I love talking about this stuff and obviously your wealth of information too. It's great. We bounce off, feed off each other. We could probably go the next five hours on this, if not more. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So your listeners could, could look up zwinningmindset.com. That's our website. And then since we have a sports specific curriculum, you would just click on baseball or football or soccer, whatever sport that your, you know, your team or your kid played. We also have a podcast, Winning Mindset, our YouTube page, winning mindset it's all there i could send you all those links you can attach them to the to the show and of course facebook and instagram we're constantly pumping out a lot of great information on facebook and instagram it's not under winning mindset it's under 
golf mindset, tennis mindset, soccer mindset. But the YouTube page we keep general. There is a wrestling mindset page, but the YouTube page overall stays general. And same thing with the podcast. Beautiful, right. man. That's awesome. I mean, it's man, awesome. Again, thank you for being on my show. This was this was just uh, informative. Again, I, I wish I could be here for another couple hours to talk to you about all sorts of stuff. But <laughs> maybe I'll have you back on my show in the future. But uh, again, thank you so much for your time and energy, Gene. I'd be happy to come back. Thank you very much. You bet. Thanks, Grant. <laughs>